A leader's job is to create constructive conflict. Yeah, you say, oh, that's terrible. That's contention. The wrong side of the ledger in Galatians 5. Construct no, constructive conflict. This is constructive conflict. We need all the facts out on the table. What do, we, what do we read? Get all the facts that you can and get them out on the table. Well, they're not all going to be in unity. But we all have emotional maturity because you cultivated and you told them what you expect. You tell them right here, this is what we are going to have in this team, emotional maturity. So we won't agree in the meeting. But when we leave the meeting, no matter what decision is made, we're going to leave in unity. We're going to leave in unity. We're going to operate in unity. We're going to face the world, the congregation in unity and the rest of the team. Okay, so these are all now. When we do this, when we, when we ask questions, we listen, then we obtain these things. This is what we need as leaders to learn. We have to learn this. We're all learning. It's a learning culture, so everybody's learning, the leader and the team. So... We're, now, what, what happens here? Well, first of all, you're creating motivation and ownership and value. Motivation, ownership, value. You can pat somebody on the backside all you want. Oh, Joe, you're so valuable to us. We just really appreciate you, old Joe. Yeah, we haven't asked Joe for any input for a decade. I mean, he, loves, he knows he's valuable to God. But he doesn't feel valued in the ministry, in his place there. He hasn't contributed anything. He doesn't feel that valuable. And he's certainly not that motivated. And he certainly can't be, he, he doesn't take ownership of anything because he's not involved. He can't be your advocate. So what, ha so what happens, for example, is you bark out the next, okay, guy, okay, everybody over here now, here's where we're headed. And you bark out the next command. Not the process, but the command and control stuff. You bark out the next command uh, to your team. And then they go to their team. And what are they going to do? They weren't involved. They're going to say, you know, here's what he wants to do. <laughs> I don't know where this came from, but, you know, get happy. Here we go. Sis Boomba. Yep. Glory, praise the Lord. So, no, they can't, they don't know where this came from. They weren't involved. But if they're involved, they had an opportunity to contribute, then they're going to say, hey, let me tell you, this thing's awesome. This is going to reach this people group. We've been trying to touch these, this group. We've been trying to make a dent here. And, it, and not only that, but it's going to affect these people too simultaneously. This is going to be so exciting. And let me tell you why. This is why well, they're going to be selling it. They're going to be your advocate. They're going to fight alongside of you in instituting it into the ministry because they've been involved in it. They're part of the process. Even if their idea wasn't accepted, they had an opportunity to contribute. That's huge. That's huge. They did a survey in the world system. They wanted to find out what's the number one thing that motivates people. What's the number one thing? They, next to what's the number two thing next to money? That, that, that's what they said. They said, what's number two next to money? They said, what, what motivates people second most next to money? They found out money was second. What was first? Give me, some, give me an opportunity to contribute to something significant. That's in everybody's DNA. Whether you're saved or not saved, it's in everybody's DNA to be able to contribute to something significant. 
Now, how much more significant is what we do than what they do out there? But we're not giving people an opportunity to feel the significance of serving God. We've got to do that. We've got to let them get in and learn, learn how to do it and participate and feel the value. Then they feel joy. Then they'll commit to more. They'll give you everything they got. They'll fight for it. This is what you have to cultivate. And it's why it's such a huge part of your job description. And sitting there like Jesus, every teachable moment, every opportunity to impart value and contribution and mine the rich deposits that are in the people. Now, that's what you learn from them. What do they need to learn from you in this process? Well, let's do it this way. Here comes the greatest idea known to man from the team or a member of the team. The greatest idea known to man is now being offered, and you can't approve it. You, can't, you cannot approve it. Well, that's what they need to learn. So here they offer the greatest idea known to man, but you can't approve it. Why? Well, that's what they need to learn. Why can't you approve it? And you know this. this is, these are the decisions you make. This is how you think or should think. You can't approve it because it's not consistent with the mission that God gave us. That's not what we were designed to do. That's good for them and them, but it's not our assignment, peculiar to our ministry, what we're supposed to be doing. That, or the vision, the, the V, what God told us to do next, or in the next couple iterations, next couple levels. It, it's not consistent with that. It's not, that's not consistent with what God said to do, so we can't approve it. That's what they're learning. It's not, it doesn't meet our DNA. The, the thing we talked about earlier. It's not, it doesn't meet our standard of excellence, our core values, our teachable points of view, our spirit of excellence, our level of professionalism, all those things. It doesn't meet that. We can't approve it. It's shaky. It's not consistent with what we, is, we are as a ministry, what God told us we are. It would have a debilitating effect on another department. This is the greatest idea known to man for that department. But it would have a debilitating effect on another department. Or in one way, it would not be equitable or something like that. So you have, you're thinking about the macro picture, all the departments. Now, when you start teaching them, sitting down with them and teaching them why you can't approve it, they start to get out of their parochial perspective and start thinking like you do about the whole ministry. We have to get people thinking about the whole ministry because we're creating satellite CEOs, remember? And they're only going to be as good as they understand what we're doing here and make decisions like you do. So we have, we have to teach them things like this. And we're gonna, I'm going to talk to you about generalists in a, in a few minutes. So it, it, it would have a debilitating or unequitable effect in other departments. How about the sheep? I'm just hitting on a few of these. But the sheep, hey, we told the sheep we're all going over this way this year, the congregation. Okay, come on, we're all, all going to be going over here. We're, this is what we're doing this year. This is what God's told us to do. These are the main things we're doing. We're going this direction. And this idea is awesome, but it goes that direction. And you can't turn the sheep on a dime. You can't do that. So 
They have to understand that too. It's a great idea, it's just not the season. So we're gonna have to do it in its proper place in it when God gives us the season. Okay, and then finally, I'll just give you one more. Resources, resources. This is the greatest idea known to man. This is absolutely blowout awesome. But we can't do it, why? We don't have any money. We're out of money. We've squandered his provision. He's been providing for decades, but we don't have any of it because we didn't keep the provision that he sent. So we can't do it. We can't afford it. It requires equipment. It requires a new facility. It requires something, and it's costly. It's going to cost money. We can't do it. We don't have the money. Or we may have the money. Or maybe it doesn't cost money. But we don't have anybody to lead it. Everybody's burned out. Everybody's maxed out. Everybody's right up to here. And then we often say to the leaders, we need, we need you to take this on. Sue, you've done an awesome job in the children's ministry. I need you to, would you lead this? Would you take that on or would you take this on? Would you, would you do that? Oh, Pastor, thank, I appreciate your faith in me and you know, I've learned so much from you all these years. And, uh, you know, thank you for, you know, your, your trust in me and all. But, you see, I can do all things through Christ just with children. That's it. Praise the Lord. And we can't get people to move, leaders. We can't get people to take a risk. We can't pay, get people to cross over the Jordan into their next promise toward their destiny. So... They're facing reality right now. They get so excited, everybody's, hey, man, cha-ching, what an idea. No money, no people to lead it. Everybody's burned out. Now they're facing reality. If there's any chance that they're going to try to keep more of the people that God's sending and keep more of the provision that he wants to provide, then this will be it when they're facing reality. Now they're fa- if you're the only one facing this reality, nothing's going to change. So now they're facing reality. Now, there's four key elements to this effective communication. Four key elements. And you say, well, I've been to communication seminars, and there's 19 of them. Well, praise the Lord. Good for you. But I'll, if you can do these four, you'll be really good at this communication, these four. If you can get these four down, Pat, you'll be just fine. And you can add the others over time, but work on these four, because these four are key. The first one is questions. Just like the cue I put up here. Okay, so the effective communication is these four things. First is questions, second is listen, Third is safe harbor. And fourth is honesty. Questions, listen, safe harbor, and honesty. And let's dissect those. Let's massage these a little bit so you're clear on what I'm saying. The first one, we've hit on a number of times, but, and tomorrow we'll really hit on it. I mean, we'll look at questions. We'll look at post-mortem questions. We'll look at depth charge questions. I want you to become proficient at the art of asking questions. 
And these guys will tell you, that's what they learned, and it's huge. It's huge. And, and so Jesus modeled. You know how many times Jesus asked questions in the back of the book in the red, right? You know how many times he asked questions. He, and I'm not going to take time to do a study on that, but Jesus asked questions to call attention to his words. That's how he invited people into the communication. He asked them a question. Many times he answered a question with a question. You know all that. But he invited people into the communication by asking questions. You're including people. You're involving people. You're adding value. You're when you ask a question to somebody, you're saying you're valuable. I want to know what you think. It's, there's no clearer way to communicate value than asking a question. You're saying, I value what you have to tell me. Okay, and, but then he also did it so that people would discover their learning. They don't discover much when you ram look sharp, be sharp, act sharp, sharpen up, and six other sharp things down their throat. They don't discover anything. They tune you off on sharp number three. They're, they're sick of that. And they don't discover their own learning. But when you ask questions, they discover it and they own it. They own what they discover. So you let them discover it so that they own it. They internalize it. So you, the, that's what Jesus did. He asked questions. You know, I, I read this. Some of you probably know it better than I. But it, it's, it's a good illustration. The rabbis. Brother, you, where are you? You can tell me whether I get this right. Where's my rabbi friend? Okay. Well, I read that when the rabbis are looking for students to, to enter into the rabbinical priesthood. Is that what you call it, or the next level? What? The rabbin, rabbinate. Okay. They, one of the criteria that they use to select the student is the quality of questions that they ask. How am I doing? The quality of, I've never had a rabbi here, so I can usually say anything, but now, you know. <laughs> Kind of scary, <laughs> a little scary, but yeah. So, love you, brother. <laughs> so, the, the quality of their questions says a lot about what they understand and comprehend. Okay, so questions are critical, and Jesus modeled that for us. Now, I, I see, now Jesus did this. He said, he had emotional maturity. So he asked a question, who do you say that I am? Right? And, he, and the answer goes here, who do you say that I am? Right? And amen. Come on, once in a while. Okay. Who do you say? I love that. To a degree. <laughs> Who do you say that I am? Now, I see leaders. Hey, let me tell you. Number uno. Right here. Mr. Big, straight from the top. Get it? Me, Mr. Big. We don't need that. Let's, let Jesus had emotional. Who do you say that I am? He asked a lot of other questions. I don't need to. You know it. You know how many times he asked questions. He, but one question he did ask that, that illustrates this. He said, what do you think, Simon? What do you think, Jane? What do you think, Fred? What do you feel, team? What do you think about this, Joe? What's causing this, Tom? 
What's the effect that this is having on our ministry? What do you think? How do you feel? What do you see? Questions. Jesus modeled that for us. And we need to model that for our people. Questions are critical. Second is listen. Isaiah 50, verse 4. Listen so as to disciple. Listen so as to disciple. Listen with God's ears. Listen to what to coach on and in. You have to listen with your heart. You can't just placate them. Uh, I went to this training with that guy with the mustache. Pastor seems to like the guy, so, you know, what do you got in there? Come on, we got a lot to do here. You got your own agenda, you got your own plan, and you're just placating them. Okay, tell me how you feel and think, but you got your own plan. They can see right through that. Stop playing games. You've got to listen with your heart. You listen because you really care to learn and what they see and think and feel. You know that that's precious. You know that that's valuable, and God put them right here because there's something in them he needs in you in addition to what you're putting into them. That's why they're here. We're next to you. So we have to listen with our heart. I'm not proud of this, but it's the best illustration I have. And I didn't listen with my heart. I was so full of pride, so self-centered, so into me. Boy, it's amazing how that comes back. It's amazing. The conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, I I worked for the limited. I told you that story. I'll I'll do anything. I'll do whatever it takes to do my job, but you don't own me. Well, we made a mistake. The the team, we messed up big time. The stock would have plummeted. We made a really dumb decision. We did something that went completely against our value system and the DNA that we established. Just like you all, when you go against something God tells you to do or not to do, you're going to mess up royally. Make a change fast. Go back to the last place of obedience and start over. So here we go. I'm, I'm... I'm working at the lit three nights in a row, all night. I came home like at four or five in the morning, exhausted, irritable, angry, didn't even want to be there. I made a commitment to be home with my family, remember? And now I'm there, but I had to do it. It was part of the assignment. You have to do whatever it takes, guys, and you particularly for God. And so I came home on third night, and I came in and I, got, I came home and Carol woke up, bless her heart, and she turned over and she said honey hi honey I miss you when you're not here I miss you when you're not here pretty simple message you know I love you and miss you when you're not here you know and I said well because I wasn't listening with my heart and I was all those things I just said I said well you seem to like the big house and the fancy cars and the vacation the fancy vacation yeah That's what happens when you're in the wrong place. When you're maxed out, stressed out, anxious. You, you can't build a relationship with people with, for God. When you're, when you're like that, it doesn't work. You have to be in the right place. And it's so simple. What's the message? I love you and I miss you when you're not here. Whew, boy, that's real deep. But I didn't listen with my heart. And I could have, oh, I did a lot of damage. 
And she said, she, she, you'll remember this, hopefully, because this is agonizing for me. <laughs> and it's going to be all over the world now. <laughs> and she, she said, Dean, I don't have a safe harbor with you. And I said, what's that, safe harbor? She said, I don't. I can't share anything with you. I don't know whether you're going to rejoice with me or you're going to trample my feelings. I don't have a safe harbor with you. We have to provide people. When we sit here with them, we've got to provide them a safe harbor. They have to be able to say what they see and think and feel. They have to be able to express themselves. That's a partnership. That's a relationship. And you have to cultivate that with your people. We have to provide them a safe harbor, and you'll see how that plays out when we go through the process of build, doing this in real time with real people. And then honesty. Coaching, teaching, training on honesty. And establishing an honest culture. How do you do that? Let me give you an example. Here's my team of five right here. You guys don't have to do anything, but they're the team of five. Just look important. But, you, but there, here's my team of five. Now, we're going to sit down and have a meeting, and I want to teach you now about honesty. We've got to have an honest culture. And how do you coach and teach and train and mentor on something like honesty? Let me model it right here. So let me role play. So here's my team. And some point in the meeting, whether it's the beginning, the end, that's your call. But I say, I want to take some time, and I want to talk to you about honesty. Now, the reason you're on the team is because you're honest. You've proven over the years that you're faithful, that you have integrity. You're faithful to be integrous. And, and I, that's why you're on the team. I wouldn't have you on the team. And as far as I know, you've been honest with me, and I respect you for that. But I need to talk to you about various dimensions of honesty in this ministry, and what I expect to happen in this ministry relative to honesty. Okay? So let's talk about that. And let me share some specific points about honesty so we can establish an honest culture. Now, the, I would ask a question right out the gate. I would say, what does honesty mean to you? At this point in their life, they know what honesty is. I don't need to tell them. Tiger Woods doesn't need his coach to tell them how to play golf. They don't need to be told. I don't need a lecture. Look honest, be honest, act honest, and honest up. No. <laughs> so I'll ask them a question. I'm just modeling that and, you know, I'll say, what, what does honesty mean to you? And we'll list it. So what does honesty mean to you? And very quickly, they're going to tell me. I mean, it'll just come pouring out. They know what it is. All the dimensions of honesty. They'll just say, the honesty is this and this. Okay, the next question might be, what is it not? Or what games do people play? Questions. What games do people play with honesty? And here they'll tell me all that real quickly. I don't have to do, what, what am I teaching here? Stop doing these, all these exercises and all these lectures and all these things. Just ask questions. They know. You just have to teach them what you expect relative to what they know. So now, but I notice one thing is missing. And look, as a leader, you, what am I implying? You, you play your cards last. Okay, you play your cards last. In other words, you, they, you get everything you can from the team first. So what are you, you're disciplining to know that I need you to contribute if you're starting this process. And then over time, they know, because they're going to be reading your body language. Or they're going to wait for somebody else to go first. 
see if they survive. You know, they'll all, let somebody else offer something, and if they make it, I might, you know. Or eventually they'll throw something up there and duck, you know, until you prove that they have a safe harbor. Until you prove that you have the emotional maturity to let them say whatever they see and think and feel, done with respect. So that's tomorrow's lesson. But here, coaching, teaching, so yeah, but there's something missing. And I'll say, what's missing here in this case, I, I'm just making this up, but marginal deception. What's that? That's the Christian form of lying. Marginal deception. So I say, does anybody know what marginal deception is? And if they know, then I let them tell. Okay, tell us. But if they don't know, then I have to play my cards, right? You come to the point where they don't know, now you have to teach. Okay, so I'll teach them. And I'll say one form of marginal deception is when people come, come to you and they're seeking approval and they stack the deck up here with all the reasons why you ought to approve what they're presenting. And then they throw in a cube, few bogus things over here to make it look good, you know, but they've left out a lot of facts. You're making a decision without all the facts. What are they doing? Manipulating you, railroading you. They're, they're, they're steering you into their own, they have their own agenda. It's not God's agenda. They're not coming with a full presentation of the facts. They're they're, this is dishonest, one of the highest forms. Marginal deception. It looks good on paper, but they're deceiving you to make a decision for their way. Because this, see, this is my department. I built this thing. I built this department. This is mine. Everything this department is is, my, is because of me. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and so you get this kind of stuff all the time. One ministry had a marginal deceiver. And we had a, the pastor finally took action with the marginal deceiver. You've got to get the leaven out. Now, we're in the restoration business, but if people aren't going to stop, they're gone. You've got to get, at least get them off the team. You can't be on the team. Okay, so that we establish what honesty is and what it is not in the games people play. And then the next thing. I repented to the Lord, and I, I'm asking you for forgiveness because I've not been honest with you many times over the years. I've minced words. I've beaten around the bush. I was weak and timid, and I didn't tell you the truth, and I cheated you, and I stole from your ability to become more valuable to God and to this ministry and to reach the fullness of your purpose. I cheated you, and I stole from you because I minced words, was dishonest, left things out, made innuendo, and hoped you'd figure it out because I was weak. And I ask you for forgiveness, and I pray you'll forgive me. I'll never do that again to you. I disrespected you, and I'll never do that to you again. Will you forgive me? I've repented to the Lord. I've asked God to change me, and I'm asking you, help me, because obviously I'm weak over this. And so if, if, if you can pull it out of me, Pastor, how could I have done this better? Receive it in love, too. I haven't been given it, so you may not see it in love and, because I haven't been doing it that way. I've, I've been the opposite. But I want you to receive it in love. Know that I care about you, and I'm going to be honest with you from now on. Will you forgive me? Okay. Yes, sir, we will. Okay, now, I expect now the next thing I want to talk about is that what we're doing here today, and we're not finished, but I expect that when you relate to your people, you'll have the same level of honesty with your team, Aaron, 
and her with your team. You'll have the same level of honesty, that there'll be no mincing words, beating around the bush. You'll be straight with them. You'll respect them enough to tell them the truth according to the word of God. And I expect you to do that because we can't, we can't have an honest culture unless we emulate the honest culture. And it starts with me. And then it goes to you. And then it goes to those that are entrusted to you. And we're that way, and then you're going to do it so well with your people that they're going to be doing it with others. So I expect that there will be honesty down through the entire ministry. But I expect that what we do here today, and I, I'm going to cut this short, but there will be some other things we could do here. But, but I, 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 I want, do you understand? It, and then now I need a couple of things here because this, up till now this has been a total waste of time because we have nothing yet. But what don't we have? I don't have any understanding <laughs> that they know, that they understand. So do you understand? And then what do you get? Everybody, yeah, bobbleheads, you know, yeah, oh yeah, we understand. But that, mean, that the, gives you absolutely nothing either. So somebody confirm for me that you understand. So who would I pick to confirm? The guy has been looking like this the whole meeting. Or nobody, somebody who doesn't have something sharper, sharper than this and bigger than a laundry ticket. You know, they're not taking notes. They're not writing this stuff down. So they can put it on their refrigerator, get a frontal lobotomy, hang it off their rearview mirror, whatever. But remember this and do it. And don't tell me you didn't understand and you didn't, you know. No, they're confirming that they understand it. Everybody understand. Everybody, now, I still have absolutely nothing. Why? Because I don't have a commitment. Nobody said they would do it. <laughs> You're just wasting your time if you don't get an, a confirmation of an understanding and a commitment. So, and then a consequence. But commitment, is, everybody, is there anybody that can't commit to this? Anybody? That, look, this is what I had to learn. I hated that because I didn't do this. And they smoked me all the time. And at that company, we sold $93 million. In, well, I had three divisions. And one of them was the, was the uh, brochure. And it sold $93 million every two weeks. And I couldn't have them smoking me. I, I like the money. There were people waiting to take my job. And I didn't have nobody smoking me here. So I had to learn. But that was why it was so hard. I kept checking and reminding and all that stuff. And it was destroying me. And so, I, but I got, now I get a commitment. Anybody feel this is unrealistic? Anybody feel this is unchristian to do it this way? Anybody feel you can't do this? What I said. Yes, sir. We, no, sir. We can do this. Okay, and then I have to establish a consequence. So how, what do I do there? I would say, the reason you're on the team, I have no doubt that you can do this, that you will do this, and I believe you've been doing it all along. But all the things we talked about, down line, you with your people, total honesty, absolute honesty, one to another, even on this team, total honesty, one to another, me to you, you to me, one to another, and down line. I believe you'll honor that commitment. I hear you. I, you're confirming it. But let me be absolutely clear with you. If you were to choose not to be honest in any way we've just defined it, if you were to choose to be dishonest with anybody and not respect the honesty that we just established, 
you will have chosen to be off this team as fast as if you moved in with the wrong person or snorted the wrong stuff. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That's how serious I am. This is not negotiable. Now, you have to establish the consequences that fit the offense. But in this case, that's what I established. Don't smoke me, don't smoke each other. Now, you're sitting in a meeting. Look at how simple it gets. You're sitting in a meeting, and my brother here is presenting something. And I see my brother down here on, at the t table. We're sitting at a table here, and I, I'm, he's presenting. And I see the brother down at this end over here. I see it out of the corner of my eye. I see him going like this as he's talking. Wait, well, am I going to write that down and bring it up, you know, eight months from now in a performance appraisal? <laughs> no, this is leaven right here. It'll be all over the place. I had a little cancer on my lip here. Underneath there was a, well, a, a nickel over here and a dime over here. Tumor. Cancer. It was a speck. It was a little tiny speck like this. Le well, it was little. Under there was this big chunk of junk. And you have to get the leaven out as soon as you see it. That's the gap. It's a this is a little gap right here. Fix it. Right now. Right now. Stop. Stop. What was that? Oh, nothing, Pastor. <laughs> no, that thing you pulled there. What was that? You have an ought with him? Honesty. That's it. That's all you got to do. He's choosing right now. Am I, am I going to be on the team or am I off? The light of truth shines on those dark areas. Very, sometimes it'll be tomorrow, sometimes next week. But he, he's now making a decision. He knows what I expect. You have to establish the expectations up front. You don't wait till somebody messes up and then coach them each individually, one at a time. Boy, that's really efficient. And right here, we establish what it is. Okay, but now let's say you didn't see it. And you're spending time with the Lord, and he's, he's telling you there's contention on your team. You say, well, I can't coach on that. I don't know who it is. You don't have to know who it is to coach. You just ask a question. What's the question? Is there any contention on our team? Is it, guys, is there any contention on our team? And suddenly you see them. They all kind of reach over and grab hands and start humming kumbaya, you know. They <laughs> <laughs> is there any content? Honesty. That's all you got to say. You've already established honesty. And it may surface right here and say it doesn't. Nobody acknowledges it. But you can still coach, okay? And you don't tell them a thing. What do you do? You ask a question. What have I told you I expect you to do? If there ever was contention on our team, what have I taught you from the Word of God from up here? And what have I reiterated in our team meetings? What have I told you I expect you to do? And they're going to tell you. Don't, you don't have to tell them anything. You just have to ask questions and pull it out of them. It also lets you know how much they know, how much they care, where their heart is. How, how, all those things that you don't know will do that tomorrow. All those things you don't know until you ask questions. You can't assume. You can't judge. You have to ask questions to know what to coach on. Tomorrow we'll have some fun with that. I've got a picture that we'll put up and we'll play with that a little bit okay but you, you can still coach even when you don't know what it is 
you, can, you still establish what you expect. So what have I taught you? And in the first case, he fesses up, perhaps, and said, yeah, I do, Pastor. I'm having, okay, what are you going to do about it? You don't tell him, okay, here's what I need you to, no, yes, Sam. You'll find out what his attitude is, where his heart is. Well, you know, the guy's a jerk, you know, and he, you know, I'll try to work it out, but he's a loser. <laughs> I'm hurrying, okay, so maybe it's not exactly what I would say. Okay, he would say, but you see, so what are you going to do? I'm going to meet with him, okay, and let me know if it doesn't work out. Okay, that's all. I don't want to know about how you're going to do it and when you're going to do it and all the gory details. Just let me know. Is it done? You take care of it? If you didn't take care of it, you can't work it out, then let me know. Otherwise, it's a done deal. Okay, now quickly, one more thing. But th that you have, what, it, what have we modeled here? You have to establish the expectations up front. And then you have to confirm that they understand and you get a kid a commitment and then you know, have, they know, have to know what the consequences are. Should, you never have to fire anybody that way. You never even have to give people a time out. You never have to do anything. You just tell them what you expect and tell them if they don't do it, this is the consequence. It gets real simple, done right. And that's what I had to learn. That's what God taught me. Okay, um, Mandates. Mandates. We have to create generalists in ministry. Your ministry won't go very far. Let me try to get this one in today before we go. And I, I can eke it in here quickly. We're talking about as we develop people, as you develop your people, as you develop their capacity, and their core competencies. We want to move people from being specialists or silos to generalists where they are continually expanding their capabilities and their capacity. Their competencies, their capacity, their capabilities. And, and I'm not going to take the time to define all that and massage it, but why do you need generalists instead of just specialists and generalists are people that can lead anything specialists can lead in an area where they are experts where they're very proficient where they're very experienced where they know have a lot of knowledge about things but you're going to need leaders that can lead a lot of things and lead in areas where they don't know the specialty, where they don't have a whole lot of knowledge, a whole lot of acumen, a whole lot of experience. You're going to have to cultivate generalists. Why? Well, let's look at it. God gives you five things to do. Then you got five people on your team, and everybody can do one thing. And it works out just great until he gives you number six. Now, we talked about we don't go wider. We don't keep adding when God adds more mandates. We have to go deeper. So if we play this out and God gives, turns this into six, somebody here has to do two, has to lead two things. Somebody has to get out of their specialty and lead something as a generalist. And you as the pastor 
and the CEO and you all as department and division heads must become generalists so that you can lead all the people under you in all the various dimensions or mandates in the ministry. So we somebody here now has to take on two. And then when God gives you 25 things to do, 25 mandates, all the new things, he keeps adding on every year to what you already have, five more, five more. It's compounding, compounding. Now you have 25 things to do. Everybody here has to do five. Everybody has to, forget the word do. Everybody here has to lead five. Everybody here has to lead five things. Now we have to have generalist leaders. Now suppose that somebody says, well, that's really neat, Pastor, but you see, I just do this specialty. I'll do all things for Christ except that. And so they lead one thing and one thing, and we got 23 more to do, so we have to carve it up among these three. So everybody has seven or eight things to lead. Now, that doesn't work because these people haven't been trained to be generalists, and if there's five under here and this person has eight, then people down here have to do more than one thing, and we haven't prepared them yet to do that. So we, we need to build generalists here on your team first. You're the master generalist. You're over the whole thing. You're leading the whole thing. But you're modeling how you can lead the whole thing so they can learn to how to lead their thing as a generalist as well and not a specialist, not a silo. Expanding, this is what we're doing, expanding. And that's what we were doing here with Thelma, too. We weren't just build, going up the ladder here with her. We, she had this capability, then she got that capability, and then she got this capability. So we were expanding her capacity and her competencies as we grew her. And so, these, so now everybody here is doing five. Okay, that works out pretty well because we build, we're starting to build the teams down here and then everybody under here, Aaron's got five people, so they all have one thing to lead. Now we need to teach them to become generalists because when God adds 26, Aaron gets, not, uh, get, Aaron gets six things himself and somebody down here has to do two. Are you getting me? Are you hearing, are you seeing this? So we have to develop generalists down line. That's the only way you'll go the distance. People that can lead anything. I could lead, I don't know diddly about children's ministry. And, but I could lead it because I would surround myself with people smarter than me. So we need to build generalists. We have to build ex, uh, competence around us. And we have to teach people to become generalists. And tomorrow we probably hit on this a little bit further. But teaching people to be generalists instead of specialists. We can't have that. Now, th what does that mean? It means that a specialist will have to report to a generalist. Well, they don't like that. Well, then they're going to have to make a change over time. We have to have... Now, in, in, and let's just be honest. I mean, in certain areas, uh, people need to be a specialist because it's technology or something, and that, that's not... You know, there, there are certain understandings there regarding things like that but we need to build generalists in our ministry. And the, the more generalists you build, the faster you will be able to build others and build your ministry. When you work this process, your job as a leader is to create constructive conflict, constructive conflict. 